Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Amen. Well, as I've been saying for months now, I am a beginner. I'm going to assume you are too, and so let's begin together. This is the second week in Christmas. Turns out that song, The 12 Days of Christmas, isn't just a song. It reflects one of the church's uh, tradition over the last few centuries, which is to uh, celebrate uh, the story and the birth of Jesus over an extended period of time. And so we come to Luke chapter 2 on the heels of the angels having visited the shepherds. And we are invited to come with the shepherds into the manger scene. And so there's two movements I'm going to invite us to sit with this morning as we end Christmas time and at the same time begin a new year. And the first movement is that the shepherds come to the manger. We're inserted here right into the middle of the Christmas story. And no doubt many of us, when uh, we use our imagination to think about the Christmas story, we tend to have an overly romanticized vision of it. There is Mary in clean clothes, looking beautiful in the midst of a beautiful manger scene. All the animals are behaving. The hay is clean. Uh, There is Joseph. There is no stress. He is perfectly relaxed. Here come the shepherds. They are dressed well. Uh, The three kings happen to be there, even though they will not come until Egypt later on, but we don't talk about that. We just, let's include him in the scene. And there is a fat angel up on top who is looking over the scene going, yes, this is good. And yet, like so many things in the stories of the gospels, that is not how it actually happened. We have imagination around a romanticized version of it. Now you might go, okay, what's, okay, bless, what is the harm in imagining the fat angel, little baby Jesus, Mary well put together, the shepherds clean, certainly not outsiders. And while there may not be initially much danger or much harm in imagining it that way, I think if we were to take some time and think about it a little bit more, what I would offer to you this morning is that there can actually be real harm in forgetting the messiness of the scene. Because if our imagination around the coming of Jesus is overly romanticized, then it begins to answer questions about who is God and how does God come even now? Who does God come to? Who does God not come to? Who is God willing to draw near and draw into his life? Will God meet us in the reality and the messiness here and now on our actual lived experiences? Because when you actually begin to slow down and sit with the story, right? Mary travels pregnant 40 miles Again, a lot of the images have her on the donkey. That may have been true. I can't imagine. I've never been, and I'll preface all this by saying, I have never been pregnant. Shelby has. And I've been around quite a few people who have. I can't imagine walking 40 miles, eight and a half months pregnant, let alone riding an animal. I can't imagine the conversation along the way is Mary and Joseph, like, it's going to be amazing. I know we don't get to pick the name, but how are we going to decorate the nursery? They're not having those kinds of conversations. 
probably conversations of like, why did I get betrothed to someone from Bethlehem? Mary goes into labor. There's no room for them. So they end up in a cave, in a stable. She gives birth, which is not easy in the best of circumstances, and places her infant in a feeding trough. And then in the middle of the night, shepherds burst in. They are smelling like they've been camping for a week on the farm because they had. They reek of smoke and animal. And they burst in. We barely wanted to see my family after our kid's birth, let alone some rando shepherds from the field. The little drummer boy, Carol, ridiculous. What's the last thing a woman who is now sleep deprived, having gone through the closest she will come to death, a drummer in the room, right? <laughs> ridiculous. And, and a little boy, because there's no rhythm there. There's just chaos, right? Even then, shepherds were considered rough and dangerous people within a community. So here come rough, dangerous people who smell bad, who've supposedly heard from the angels. This is not a Hallmark movie, y'all. It actually sounds closer to real life. In fact, how many of us could claim that things happen when and how we want them to? The Christmas story the story of God's coming in the person of Jesus, coming in the midst of real life, in the midst of a really dark and really complicated time, politically, socioeconomically. There would have been family divisions. Mary, who consented to, with God, bringing God into the world, recognized the risk. It was going to mean disgrace. It was going to mean alienation. It was going to mean a life. Even the angel told her, and your soul will be pierced. No one is putting that in their baby announcements. Hey, come to our gender reveal party. A sword will be pierced through our soul. And this is how God still comes in the midst of division, in the midst of jobs that are no longer fulfilling in the midst of new beginnings and seasons of relationships on the verge of breaking, in the midst of the death of dreams, in the midst of celebrations, in the midst of defeats. So I think as we begin this new year and continue in this season of Christmas, the invitation for me and for you is to ask God to give us expectant hearts, to help our unbelief. And to ask God to give us eyes to see how God might come to us in the midst of real, actual life. Every week we come to this communion, this Eucharist table, and as I've described before, that night once again can be overly romanticized, but it is anything but. John tells us Jesus himself is anxious. The disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. They still don't fully understand the kingdom that God has made available through Christ. It's anything but romanticized hallmark moment. Fellowship with fellow pilgrims is one of those spaces where God comes to us in the midst of real life, but I have yet to be a part of a church and I have yet to be part of a group within a church that was anywhere close to hallmark. Mostly because I am there and because you are too. 
people deeply loved by God, eternal beings with a future in God's kingdom and who that kingdom is still being needed into even here and now. And that brings us to the second movement that Mary treasures and ponders all of this in her heart. What does that mean? Again, oftentimes the image is of this Zen-like person, calm in the midst of chaos. She has her breathing exercises, her meditation practice. All of those are good things. I have them, I think you should too. But the treasuring and the pondering that Mary does here are actually standard words in Judaism for meditating on the events in one's life in order to place what is going on in your real life. Not to deny them, not to try to do your own, right? We each have an, our own internal PR department that we try to spin what's happening, the reality of our lives, who we actually are. And that is not what treasuring and pondering is. It's being in touch with reality and beginning to ask the question, how does this fit in the context of the story that God is telling, has always been telling and will always be telling? In fact, the word meditating the better, the better uh, understanding or image of it would be a dog that is gnawing and chewing on a bone. Very rarely do you ever see a dog chewing on a bone that it doesn't just look happy and joyful. There's a, there's a chewing, there's a, a slowing down, there's a tasting. And that's what Mary's doing in all of these moments. She's beginning to look and slow and there's probably moments in between Jesus actually sleeping or needing food, moments in between her needing her own rest, questions she has about the future, about the current moment where she is beginning to go, okay, there's a greater story being told. She knows, in fact, it comes out in her magnificent. This is in her bones. She knows the promises of her people, the promises that God has made that are coming into reality because of her participation. She's beginning to place this all within the greater context of what it is that Jesus is doing. Listen, I know that the gospels are dominated by male characters. But I would argue that some of the most in-depth theology you see in the gospels is done by women like Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary and Martha, the friends of Jesus. Mary, the friend of Jesus, who is the first apostle to the apostles the first one to really begin to grasp what it meant that new creation had broken in, the one who is in the garden to meet Jesus as the new Eve and the new Adam. But she is preceded by this Mary who understand the scope of the old covenant, what God was doing in the new covenant that was breaking in. Mary's not only watching the story unfold, she's playing a central role in it. Throughout Jesus' life, his mother Mary was one of Jesus's first, in fact, she was, a lot of scholars refer to her as the first disciple, but certainly his most loyal. She's weaving the story, understanding God's faithfulness to her and to her people. She sees what God is doing in Jesus and watching it all unfold. And this is who God chooses to be the first disciple. 
Scholar Timothy George reflects on this. He says, quote, Mary was a disciple of Christ before she was his mother, for she had not believed, for had she not believed, she would not have conceived. Mary's faith or Mary's trust is not the achievement of merit, but the gift of divine grace, unquote. Mary's faith would make her what the church has called the Theotokos, the God-bearer or the mother of God. God comes into the world in part because of her response and her willingness and her trust. This is the picture that, Mary, that we're given of Mary in Luke's gospel, and I would argue in John's as well. A person, a follower of Jesus who is open, who is receptive, who responds and is preparing. And so one of the invitations, I think, from the life of Mary for us to consider as we enter into this new year is the question, can you and I offer ourselves as Mary did and let God form Christ in us? At the heart of what it actually means to follow Jesus, to consent and cooperate with the spirit-driven process of forming our inner world in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. In the life of Mary, we see one who abides in the one who abided in her. We see one who is filled with the spirit of the one who filled her body. She is given an eternal kind of life by the one who she gives life to. Again, I've expressed my own deep love and admiration for Mary. I've been in a lot of Protestant circles where that was frowned upon, and yet it's our Lord's mom. She herself said, the generations will call me blessed. And I'm a little biased because all the, the monumental spiritual figures in my own life were my mom, my grandmother. In fact, just before Christmas, I realized I had been given my grandmother's cross, which she, which she wore, she was a pastor in her own right, wore every single Sunday in the little country churches in Texas that my grandparents served at. Women on the margins who in hidden and not so hidden ways followed Jesus and made themselves available and became little by little over time the kind of people who instinctually did what Jesus did, who believed what Jesus believed who followed Jesus, who gave, for so many of us, formation to what it means for us to live our own lives with God. Will we offer ourselves, as Mary did, to let God form Christ in us? In many ways, what it means to follow Jesus, to be formed into his own likeness, follows a similar pattern to how he was formed into his mom's. Again, I've said this before, but I'll keep saying it again. There was no one else for Jesus to get his eye color from. The texture of his hair, his skin, his height, his laugh, the tone of his voice. And I actually think that what you begin to see in the gospels is Jesus' own teaching taking on the form and being shaped by the faith of his mom. And in the same way, we 
immerse ourselves in the life of God and little by little begin to take on the family resemblance. Some things can be measured, but most of the most important things cannot. That's the invitation to you and to me as we enter into this new year. Is to immerse ourselves in the womb that is God's life, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to be formed by it, to not be overly obsessed in measuring. In fact, if you give up anything for this year, give up measuring. I mean that. Measuring progress, advancement, give it up. But immerse yourself in the life and the dance of the one who has loved you from the beginning, will love you through to the end, will complete the good work he has begun, not you. And allow yourself to be formed by the one who was formed. Now, I also realize I have the spiritual gift of the abstract. And so I wanna invite us to sit with just a few questions, if that's okay. But I'm gonna invite us to sit with over this coming year. These are not mine, I got them from a friend. And the simple five questions, I'm gonna read them through and then we actually have them, we'll put them up on the screen as we sit in silence afterwards to reflect. But here are the few questions that I think would be good to sit with in this coming year. The first is, am I becoming more at ease with myself? Am I becoming more relaxed with myself? Here's what I'll say, friends. God is. God is absolutely at ease with you. I don't think God is anywhere close to as anxious as we are about ourselves and how we need to change. Does he long for us to live an eternal kind of life here and now? Yes. Does he invite us into a different kind of life? Does he tell us that the good news of his kingdom is a new kind of life is available? Yes but he isn't wringing his hands. He's at ease with you because he thinks you're a good idea. It's why you're here. He thinks you're a really good idea. Am I growing and becoming more at ease with myself? Second one, am I becoming more at ease with God? Not just any God, <laughs> but the God of the gospels, the God of Jesus, the God Jesus is. Am I becoming more at ease with God? The third one is, am I becoming more at ease with others? I think as we become more at ease with ourselves and with God, it leads to a kind of humility, patience with one another that you cannot teach, foster. I cannot give you 15 steps on how to do it. The fourth one is, am I growing in my capacity to love others well? Fifth is, am I growing in intimacy in my prayer life? I think to sit with these questions, to be curious, to ask them of Jesus, and see what Jesus has to say, you'll find a savior, a teacher, a friend who is non-anxious, relaxed, loving, eager. And so I'm gonna invite us into just some silent reflection. We're gonna leave these up on the screen, either for you to write down and take with you. I don't think it'll be enough to just reflect on them for a minute. 
but to keep these questions close in this coming year. I think they reflect the heart of God toward us, what God desires for us. We always begin every year, what do you want? What do you want to do this year? What do you, we asked that at dinner last night, so I'm not knocking on it. I'm not one of those pastors who knocks on New Year's resolutions. I actually think in a lot of ways they're great. There's something in the image of God about loving new beginnings, new creation, longing for change. My only caveat to them is, yes, ask what you want. I think your desires matter. Deeply matter. They matter to God. God, Jesus' number one question, what do you, what do you want? I think it, from time to time, it's also good for us to go, God, what do you want? What do you want? I think he wants these things. So I'm gonna invite us just to sit in silence and then I'll pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.